You're listening to a Penal Reform International podcast. So, on the 22nd of May 2015, at the UN Crime Commission in Vienna, states agreed on a new set of prison standards. In fact, a new and updated version of the well-known and well-used standard minimum rules for the treatment of prisoners, often known by their acronym as the SMR. They also agreed to rename the rules the Mandela Rules, reasons for which, of course, need no explanation. Andrea Huber, PRI's policy director, was involved in the revision process and was present in Vienna last week, where the adoption of the resolution containing the new text met with rare applause in the plenary session. We asked her why the rules needed to be revised and what the changes could mean for prisoners, prison staff and for prison management. This is really a podcast of two parts. In the first half, we look at some of the changes to the rules and in the second, we ask Andrea a bit more about the revision process. So could you give us a bit of background to start with? What are the standard minimum rules for the treatment of prisoners and why was it necessary to revise them? Standard minimum rules for the treatment of prisoners are an international set of standards describing the conditions of detention and the treatment of prisoners uh, and it is set as minimum standards globally so all countries in the world change their uh, prison systems to comply with these rules. Um, but um, they have been drafted as far back as 1955 and so not surprisingly they have become a bit antiquated. So we know that nine areas of the original rules have been revised. Um, rules to do with health, deaths in custody, inspections and many others. There is, and the result is a lot of positive changes including confirming the purely medical role of doctors in prisons for example and also extending the right to legal representation beyond the initial criminal proceedings. However, could you perhaps pick out a couple of areas that you personally are most happy to have seen revised? Um, I'm very excited about a whole range of, of new provisions in the Mandela rules. Um, and so it's very difficult to choose, actually. But one area that I'm particularly excited about is that for the very first time, uh, we have explicit guidance on searches. And here you have to imagine that in most prisons of the world, if not in every prison, um, searches are conducted, including body searches, on a quite regular basis. And it's not difficult to imagine that that can be quite humiliating. And so it is very significant that for the first time we have some explicit guidance on when and how such searches may be conducted. Um, it does contain the elements of necessity and proportionality. It contains the fact that only um, staff of the same gender uh, may conduct such body searches uh, and also that they should be as far as possible be replaced by alternative screening measures. So invasive body searches such as strip searches should be replaced as far as possible. Um, another area that was quite difficult to negotiate but is um, also very significant in terms of what it actually means in day-to-day -day prison management is for the first time also there is explicit guidance in international standards on solitary confinement. Um, that's a practice that unfortunately is used quite extensively in a number of countries and the Special Rapporteur on Torture has issued a special report on this expressing his concern because of the um, incredible um, impact on the mental health of prisoners of this practice. And so um, it is very welcome that the Mandela rules now include a prohibition of uh, prolonged and indefinite solitary confinement. Um, and it is defined whatever the label might be that states give this practice 
it is defined as um, isolating a prisoner from the general prison population without uh, meaningful contact, human contact, for more than 22 hours a day. Um, do you feel that there were any areas, for example, where um, PRI would have liked to have stronger language or stronger guidance on? Overall, I think there was incredible improvement um, and um, it is a matter of joy that um, the Mandela rules have been adopted. Um, however, there are, of course, areas that we would have seen, uh, would have liked to see uh, better reflected. One example for this um, is the lack of a preamble that would at least um, list the other soft law standards that are relevant in the context of treatment of prisoners. And that is important because um, the standard minimum rules are really a very well-known um, set of standards by prison staff, whereas other standards are not so well-known, partly because they're, um, they're not that old. Um, and so it would be good to flag to prison officers what other texts they should look into, such as the Bangkok rules on women prisoners, the Beijing rules for juvenile um, detainees, um, or also the uh, basic principles on the use of force and firearms. And that leads me to another area that we have some disappointment of the lack of revision, and that is the use of force in prisons. Um, the standard minimum rules reflect this only very marginally um, at the moment, um, and unfortunately uh, this, this rule was not revised and there was no additional operational guidance included. So that would be an area where we would have liked to see more progress. So you've just mentioned prison staff and we've talked a lot about improvements the rules should bring to protecting the basic rights of prisoners. And do you think the Mandela rules would be also of benefit to people who work in prisons, so prison staff? Um, I would actually say that all these uh, changes do, are also in the interest of prison staff. Um, I've talked quite a lot with prison staff in the last couple of years about the SMR revision and they all were very um, excited about it and positive about it, saying that it will be very useful for them to have an up-to-date set of standards that uh, defines clearly what is permissible and what is not permissible. Um, and then secondly, there are elements um, included now, such as uh, dynamic security, the use of mediation um, and conflict resolution, that is also in the interest of prison staff to have that um, recognized officially um, as a permissible and, and, and even positive um, way of approaching prison management. Um, it is much easier on their resources and um, much easier to run prisons where, um, where detainees um, have respect of prison staff and where their rights, their basic rights are protected. And then lastly, of course, the training provisions were updated which I would also see as an improvement in the interest of prison staff specifically because they need professional and well-trained um, uh, colleagues around them um, in order to be able to do the very difficult job that they're supposed to do. So moving on to implementation, um, I have heard people talk about um, the Mandela rules bringing a sort of renaissance of the SMR, um, which hopefully will lead to better implementation of not just the new rules, but the old rules, which unfortunately are not um, in practice in many countries um, around the world. 
So um, do you see uh, the Mandela rules as this great opportunity? And perhaps um, if you could touch on what you think might be the biggest practical obstacles to implementation moving forward. Um, I definitely think the revision process had, um, other than updating the standards, the very positive results in raising more awareness again about the international standards and about um, the, the permissible and impermissible treatment of prisoners per se. And many states in the course of the revision, of course, looked into their national systems to identify um, whether they did comply with the old SMR in the first place and how far they would be able to go in negotiations. So in that sense, kind of one first step in identifying the, the, the gaps in national legislation so far has already been done to some extent. And of course the awareness um, about the current modern standards of criminal justice and human rights has increased in that, um, in that process. Um, I think the biggest obstacles um, before the revision and unfortunately also after will be um, that in many countries um, we see a very punitive approach to prisoners and there's kind of the perception that it is okay to treat um, uh, prisoners um, mainly because yeah, they're criminals and so they deserve it. So that is definitely one obstacle we need to overcome. It is the prison sentence that is supposed to be the punishment and there should not be any double jeopardy um, by treating uh, prisoners in an inhumane way. And then secondly, um, an obstacle is certainly the lack of political will um, and, and the lack of uh, awareness even of uh, what the prison conditions are. We know that politicians and even judges may never have set foot inside a prison and so they may not even be conscious of what um, inhumane prison conditions even mean. Um, so that certainly is a second obstacle. And then thirdly, in times of austerity where states have to cut back on their budgets, um, that is not a very popular time to improve conditions for detainees, um, of course. So to conclude, um, or rather to give you the last word on perhaps what the Mandela rules mean to you and why indeed they are um, we had witnessed such a historic moment at the Crime Commission. Um, I would say there is a threefold significance and um, it is amazing to have witnessed such a process um, come to its conclusion. The first and very obvious, um, of course, being that the standard minimum rules um, have been retired in their old version uh, and, and have been modernized to uh, be compliant with modern standards. But the second one, um, which I think is equally significant, is that in this revision process, um, finally, criminal justice standards and human rights standards have been reconciled. Um, we have to keep in mind that the initial standard minimum rules uh, were not meant to be a human rights document. They were not drafted as a human rights document. And so over time, it has become quite apparent that they lack this language and they lack this concept. Um, and I find it very encouraging that it has been possible to now draft a version that equally addresses the right of detainees as well as prison management issues. And let's not forget, it's not an academic issue, but this is about the daily lives uh, of some uh, 10 million prisoners we have um, nowadays. Um, and so having an, a set of standards that reflects 
human rights and criminal standards, uh, criminal justice standards of nowadays, rather than of 1955, um, is really very important for us even to begin to create human uh, conditions for, for detainees. We should let people know at this point in the podcast that we have a number of useful resources on our website, including the revised text showing where new and amended provisions have been incorporated. So you can find that at www.penalreform.org forward slash global advocacy. So we're now into the second half of our podcast, and some listeners may be interested to hear more detail about how the Mandela rules were negotiated. So we asked Andrea for some insight into the four-year revision process what the mandate of the negotiators was, who participated, who was consulted, and what does she see as the value and significance of this standard-setting exercise. So we know that states have been negotiating a revised version of the standard minimum rules at the United Nations for the past four years. Could you tell us a bit more about what the revision process involved? Ultimately, it was a resolution of the General Assembly inspired by the Crown Congress in Brazil just the year before, that um, led to a mandate for an intergovernmental expert group to look into best practices and modes of possible um, revision of the standard minimum rules and out of four options that were on the table initially uh, ranging from uh, drafting merely a commentary and not changing anything on the rules themselves up to a legally binding convention from these four options what has been chosen in the end was a so-called targeted revision, uh, which means that the structure and, and the main text of the standard minimum rules would remain intact, uh, but the most outdated areas and rules would be identified and only those would be reformulated. And could you tell us a little bit more about the expert group? So who's involved in that, who's represented um, and who was consulted as part of the process? The technical term um, in UN speak is an open-ended intergovernmental expert group and that means that the negotiators are obviously state representatives. Um, The states are free to determine who they send to these negotiations, but they were encouraged to send um, experts on um, corrections, um, human rights experts, etc. And open-ended means that also civil society and um, independent experts are able to participate and so um, PRI has been at the forefront of a group of NGOs who engaged in this process from the very beginning uh, and has also um, tried to reach out to UN bodies uh, in order to get them involved and we successfully did so um, and they played uh, a major role in uh, giving their views and expertise. And when you say um the member states um, sent experts. How many member states are we talking? Was it just a selected few that got involved or what kind of um, um, participation did the process enjoy? Um, The process was very comprehensive and very inclusive. Um, Looking at the list of states that ultimately participated um, in some or all of the expert group meetings, we're looking at 83 states. Um, And then at some point in the process, states were also invited to do written submissions and that uh, option was taken uh, up by 54 states. And so final question. Some notable people have questioned the value of standards and standard setting. For example, even the former High Commissioner on Human Rights recently wrote that in the last decade, the international human rights framework has become addicted to norm setting devoting far too much effort to refining norms, tools and protocols 
and not enough to their actual implementation. And what would you say in response? Um, I would say that in general um, it is um, it is true um, and of course setting international standards is of no value if um, then there is not any effort in pushing for the implementation. However, what is so uh, specific to uh, this review process is that there were standards, just that they were outdated. And so you have to imagine that you have a an international document with the weight and authority of the standard minimum rules that is incompatible, uh, actually, with uh, more modern human rights and criminal justice standards. And the, the, the danger and the negative impact that it has to kind of um, keep that impression, this is the authoritative text, um, is, uh, is, is quite damaging. So in that sense, I would say that the revision of the standard minimum rules play a different role than um, other international standard setting exercises, as valuable as they might be. Um, one uh, um, high representative of, of the Office of the High Commissioner has actually said that the revision of the SMR is one of the most important standard setting exercises of the last couple of years and that is because they're so crucial for both criminal justice experts and for human rights bodies. And then lastly, it's been the first time that um, an international standard has been updated in the first place and the way in which it was done to identify the areas and rules that were outdated to be economically, if you will, with resources of the international community um, sets a precedent that uh, we could maybe um, refer to uh, if other sets of standards um, also are considered to become outdated over the decades. So thank you Andrea. And to recap, on the 22nd of May the UN Crime Commission submitted the text of the Mandela Rules to the UN Economic and Social Council and we very much hope that the Mandela Rules will pass its fi their final hurdle in December with adoption by the UN General Assembly in New York. Um, you can keep up to date with their progress and with PRI's work by visiting www.penalreform.org forward slash global advocacy. Penal Reform International, promoting fair and effective justice worldwide and through your headphones.